Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by the wise decision you have made to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have folks who help others create their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners, like me, who tune in every week for fresh content or all of the above, please take a moment and explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. You'll get immediate access to over 230 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators. You'll get fresh content every week. And when you leave a five-star rating on the episodes you like, you will help us serve more business creators just like you. So, one of the topics that we have found to be very popular here on the Business Creators Radio Show, and I'm kind of jumping ahead there, is about leadership. And leadership skills, leadership competencies, pitfalls of leadership, how to overcome leadership challenges. And a couple weeks ago, I was presented with the opportunity to bring on a gentleman who can share with us the topic of mastering the skills you need to lead in just minutes a day. Sounds good to me. And for that reason, I'm very excited to have on board with us Martin Lanick. Let me just tell you a little bit about Martin. Martin Lanick, Ph.D., is the author of The Leader Habit, Master the Skills You Need to Lead in Just Minutes a Day, and the CEO of Pinsight, a global leadership development company. His leadership programs have been implemented by over 100 companies, including AIG and CenturyLink, and have received awards from Chief Learning Officer and Brandon Hall. Lanick holds a Ph.D. in industrial-slash-organizational psychology from Colorado State University. You can learn more at his website, www.pinsight.com. Martin, come on in. The weather's fine. Welcome aboard. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here today. Awesome, awesome. And I know we have a lot to cover here, so I'm excited to just dive right in. So here's what we like to do. I read off your official bio there, very impressive, shows our listeners that you are somebody who has the track record and the proven results, but what I like to do, for those of our listeners who are just getting a chance to know you right now, is take a step back and learn a little bit about, about more your personal journey and your background and what's brought you to the place where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of brilliance and passion, helping leaders enhance their skills. Sure. So you can probably hear it by my accent, by my accent that I wasn't born here in the U.S., although right. I've been very happily living here for the past 18 years. So I was born um, overseas in Slovakia or Czechoslovakia back then. Okay. And then I came to the U.S. as an exchange student, actually, many years ago. And it was one of those things. You know, I ended up in California um, and I had a great time. I graduated high school and then decided, well, I'll try a year of college and then Next thing you know, it's been 18 years, and um, I'm still here. Um, So I decided to, in in college, I made the decision to major in psychology, and then I went on to graduate school, focused on industrial organizational psychology, and more specifically focused on leadership and leadership development, um, because that's one area that I've been passionate about ever since a young kid. Um, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, 
So um, trying to understand what makes somebody a great leader has been of great interest to me. And then, of course, you know, I worked as a consultant around the world. I was based in Pittsburgh, then was based in London. And then about eight years ago, founded Pinsight, and that's what I've been uh, doing um, uh, ever since then. Um, and I became um, uh, really intrigued by the lack of effectiveness, actually, if I may say, of majority of the leadership development programs that I encountered, and that even I was running myself for companies. Yeah. And I came across this study in the uh, Journal of Consulting Psychology that show there is a negative relationship between the amount of money that American corporations spend on leadership development and our general confidence in leadership. So I decided that, you know what, I'm going to study this myself. And that's um, the outcome of this research that, that we did um, is The Leader Habit, my new book that just came out last week. Wow. Well, that's very exciting. And, you know, it's interesting, kind of a small world thing. You said you're from Slovakia back when you used to be part of Czechoslovakia? Yes, correct. Yeah, my grandfather's 100% Slovak. Uh, he even still speaks some of the dialects. So kind of a small world. Uh, I'm one-quarter Slovak Oh, myself, yeah, it is. So, so yeah. yeah very, that is yeah, wonderful. Little, little, connect, little connection there. And I believe it's very important that as we get to know people, we look for these little connections because the more cobblestones of common ground that we build – the more sturdy and more passable the road will be as we establish areas that we agree and can work together to enhance our mutual brilliance and passion. So I'm very excited about that. So you've mentioned, yeah, yeah so you mentioned that you uh, did some studies on leadership development yourself and you made some interesting discoveries, which I'd like to learn a few about a few of them right now. So in your estimation, in your experience, what's wrong with the traditional approach to leadership development? Yes, that's a, that's a really good question. I think we've been just uh, trying to understand this for at least past 10 years. Um, um, my experience and the research that I've come across suggests that majority of the leadership development is just focused on knowledge acquisition. So you think about, you know, what, what do people say when you tell them, I want to learn how to better motivate my employees? They generally say, here, go read this book, or here's a set of classes that you should take. But all these methods are just focused on knowledge acquisition. And we know that we forget things very quickly. Um, and knowledge does not equal skills. So I often use the example of music education. You, know, you can watch all the uh, YouTube videos and read all the books about proper piano playing techniques. But unless you actually start doing it, unless you start practicing and touching the keys, you're not going to become a concert pianist. And exactly right. the same thing with leadership as well, is we have to practice leadership. So what I set out to do in my research of about 800 managers and executives from around the world is to identify the tiny behaviors, the micro behaviors that really differentiate effective leaders from not effective leaders. And the logic is that these micro behaviors are easy to practice. They don't take a lot of time. And if you do them enough times, through repetition, you build a habit. And that is the whole premise of my new book, The Leader Habit. Yeah, that, yeah. and let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you call that book The Leadership Habit. So uh, tell us a little bit more about why you're using that term, habit. Yes, um, the whole premise of how you make leadership behaviors and leadership skills stick 
is that you turn them into automatic behaviors. So they become as natural for people as brushing their teeth in the morning or uh, making their bed. Because we don't think about our habits. They just happen naturally. They're part of our routine. They're our second nature. That's just who we are. And that is what we found that effective leaders really do. So they do these effective behaviors, but they don't have to pause and think, you know, oh, this is how I should delegate. Oh, this is how I should communicate, communicate with this employee. They just do that naturally. Uh, and that is how you turn skills into habits. And when you reach that automaticity, when you reach that level where the behavior is completely automatic, you don't even think about it, that's when it really sticks. And that's when you know that you have developed a new skill. Right, right, right. Very interesting. Now, in this book, you explain some of the latest science about how people most effectively learn new skills and incorporate them into your daily lives. In other words, the way we build our habits. So what are some of the highlights that we can share with our audience today just to sort of get them thinking about how to make this work? Yes, the first thing with any habits, whether it's new leadership skills or whether it's, um, you know, I'm learning a, a bad habit that you have. First is to identify a small, tiny behavior. I call, I call them micro behaviors. So these are the smallest possible behaviors that you can think of. Yeah. And the reason for having small behaviors is that they're easy to practice. So we get busy, we get distracted. So it's easy to find just a few minutes a day to practice one particular behavior. So if you pick a small one, it doesn't take a lot of time. But also, very beneficially, the smaller the behavior, the faster it becomes a habit. So you start with a small behavior, and then you associate it with a cue. So you associate it with some kind of a trigger, some kind of a reminder when, um, you, when it's appropriate to actually do that behavior. Um, and oftentimes when people try and pick cues, they write sticky notes on their desk or computer or maybe on their mirror, or they might set an alarm on their phone. But those are not effective cues because what happens when the sticky note falls off your computer, right? That habit goes away with, with it. Or if you forget to set your alarm on the phone, again, the habit would go away with it. So what you need to do is find what we call a natural cue. So natural cues are things that um, are part of the environment. So they are present there no matter what. They are not just, uh, not just artificially put in that new environment. Perhaps the, the best example of a cue, uh, or natural cue, is a cinema. So immediately when we walk into the cinema, we think of buying popcorn. Yeah. So that's, that's a great example of a natural cue. And you need to find these natural cues for those micro behaviors. Research found that the most effective natural cue is actually the end of a particular event or a task. So maybe after you answer the phone, after you read an email, after you sit down at your desk um, to start your work. So those would be examples of natural cues. And you associate that micro behavior with the natural cue, and that's when you get what I call a leader habit exercise. So you do a behavior after a particular event occurs. Uh -huh. And then you practice that for 66 days. So on average, it takes about two months before that behavior becomes automatic, natural, and you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. 
Okay, so just to for my own further understanding and that of our audience, uh, let's say that I start my work day. I after I do my morning rituals and such, I get in front of my computer. I turn the computer on. I log into the stuff I need to be logged into. That is a cue, a natural cue for me to what? That has to do with yes, later to, Yes, to perfect any kind of uh, skill you want. So, for instance, if you are trying to perfect your customer orientation, this might be a cue for you to just spend a few minutes a day and do some search on the internet about new trends in customer demand or the economy. Or maybe this would be an opportunity to send a quick email to a customer to ask for their feedback. Uh-huh. You see, so, so you want to keep that, that behavior as small as possible, so there's just minutes a day, and then, uh, rightfully so, uh, associated with the right uh, natural cue. Right. So let's say I was in a service business. I could say, all right, me logging in in the morning is my natural cue for me to check the customer service log and see what's going on. See if we got any complaints, see if there are any trends that our customers are having in terms of issues, things that are working well, things that are working not well. So it could just be by cue to say, hey, before I do anything else, before I respond to any of these emails or voicemails or anything, let's go to the people who are actually giving me money and see what they have to say. That I'm thinking that could be an example of it. Yes, exactly. All right, I like um, that. And, and the really good thing, yeah, and the really good thing is that you are training yourself to pay attention to the voice of the customer. So, yes, you are just practicing it overtly, or you think you're just practicing it, you know, once a day in the morning when you open your computer. But as your brain develops a model of this behavior, it starts spreading throughout your other work life. So you might be more tuned into that feedback from the customer and hence make better decisions for your customers. I see. Very interesting. Yeah. So that's how you that's how you turn leadership skills into daily habits. So there it is in just minutes a day. So we're talking about using a natural cue and we're talking about something that's small that's incremental because in my example, it's not a big deal for me to just log into the ticket system or log into the customer support email and see what's in the inbox and see what's in the sent items. Uh, I know that uh, I know that uh, I'm paid on behalf of two of my clients to do that with their customer service people every day because my job is to continuously monitor what goes on in their business from an outsider perspective and make recommendations and observations accordingly. So if I do that with my own business, for instance, it's just part of a natural thing I do, and it keeps me at the same level, um, in the same groove, as the people who are giving us the money that keeps the doors open and the lights on. That makes a lot of sense. Rather than say, you know, let's completely overall overhaul our customer service. We're going to impose these new scripts. We're going to uh, put in these new incentives. We're going to add these uh, new sanctions. And we're going to go with this entire new uh, customer relationship management system all in one day because I saw some webinar about how I had to do it. But instead, I'm just starting with a small leadership habit, which is get myself at the same pulse rate as the customer's. And look at my business from their perspective, which is something that can be done exactly. very naturally. I see. I love that. I love that. Now, Martin, in addition to having written a book, you and your team at mm-hmm. Pinsight 
have developed an online program which you call the leader excuse me the leader readiness platform that helps new leaders gain necessary skills for the context of our discussion so that people can see how this whole process works uh could you tell us a little bit about that platform and how it brings things together Sure. So it's an online leadership assessment and development program. And it takes these concepts from the Leader Habit Book and uh, scales them throughout the organization. So um, generally, we start with um, an assessment of the person. Um, so we understand what skills they already have and where are the gaps, what they need to work on. And the way we do this is rather than just giving them surveys, we actually place them in, the, in a fictitious company. So we simulate a half day on the job and for three hours they work in, the, in this fictitious company. And they might be um, leading a, a, a huge global company or they might be leading uh, one particular team depending on the role that they are already in. Um, and then in this simulation, um, we put them in front of live role players. And it's all done virtually over webcams. So imagine that you are um, a manager in this fictitious company and then you get a call from an anger customer. And it's a trained role player that is following a script and is role playing with you. Um, and we, we record all of these interactions so that later we can analyze what are the habits, what are the skills that are already present, and that what are the ones that are critical but missing and you can develop quickly. So that's the assessment piece. And from there, the software generates um, a development plan, a very basic development plan that is based on the leader habit exercises. Um, and from all the data that we've gathered around you, about you, we, uh, we are uh, predicting how many days do you actually need to practice that exercise before it becomes a habit. And every day, we feed that exercise to your smartphone. And as you practice, then um, just like a Fitbit, um, it knows how much you have actually improved on that particular skill. So you can track your improvement in real time. Wow. That's fairly interesting. Because uh, I can imagine this is something we see a lot. And unfortunately, I've been on this in, in this situation as well, uh, I don't want to you know name names here, of course, but I know what it's like to be stuck on the front lines where your back where your management behind you doesn't even support what you do. Like for instance, it's my job to deal directly with uh, a certain customer or a certain stakeholder of what the company does, and then when it comes to any disputes that may arise or any place where actual customer service is needed, uh, basically the support that someone might in my position would get from management was well just to simply repeat a script so what good does that do and if it was something i couldn't handle uh then i was instructed by management to give out manage you know my supervisor's name and telephone number who and they were instructed to just not return the calls now that's not a leadership culture yeah. That's not a leadership culture. No, not at all. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, doesn't yeah. sound like and, it. And, and, I, and, and I kind of understood what was happening. They were actually dealing with an even higher level bureaucracy that just didn't want to hear anything. And what they were hoping would happen mm -hmm. is that people would just get frustrated and deal with it. Uh, and then those few nails that just refused to, refused to be pounded down. And I saw this happen a few times. If the person on the other end complaining used certain phrases or just yelled loud enough 
and it got to upper management. Upper management would just give them whatever they wanted. Yeah. So to me, what is that? How does that make the person on the front line feel? It to me, it would make them feel like they don't really even have a purpose here. Uh, basically, a, an an automaton or a robot or a Facebook bot could do their job because that's about how much power they're being given. In fact, in that situation, I would argue that a Facebook bot has more power than I did in that situation because with a lot of the bots, you at least can choose different options depending on how you want to respond. Right. Yes. Yes. And that comes uh, comes back to one of the key leadership skills that we found, and that is empowering your employees. So in order to grow people and in order to have them engaged in the work they do, um, you have to empower them. And empowerment is not just purely delegating and, and telling them what to do, but rather it's giving them decision-making authority that is appropriate uh, for that particular job. Right. Uh, but it's a leadership skill. And if you don't have that leadership skill, of course, how can you empower your employees? Right. Let's take a moment on that because I think this is very interesting. Uh, when you have leaders who are unable to empower, now in the scenario I just gave you, there were actual laws and regulations and bureaucracy at an even higher level involved that were causing this wall to be put up. But what we do see way too often in organizations is we have leaders who uh, will – insist on reviewing everything before it gets implemented, but then they won't review it. It'll just pile up in a queue. So you have two different issues Mm -hmm. there. In fact, let's just start with that one. So let's say you have a leader in an organization. I have seen this over a dozen times, and I'm very happy in the cases where I've been able to work with a client to overcome that and emancipate the people in their team to be able to act on their behalf without this queue. But here's what would happen. Uh, The leader would start by saying, well, I have to review everything before it goes out. Uh, or before it gets implemented, or before we move forward with it. But then things would get stacked up in the leader's queue because they just weren't getting to it. Or the only feedback they were getting is, "Eh, no, that's not what I need. What's going on? Martin, to be clear with my question, what's going on with that leader? I want to hear it from your perspective. What's going on with that leader? And what do we do to move them to a place where they themselves are freed to give their team members and their employees the power to do what needs done. Sure. So there are two, uh, as I hear you talk, so there are two key leadership skills that I wrote down. And the first one is delegation, right? So it boils down to if the leader is becoming a bottleneck, um, if the leader feels like they need to be checking every single thing, then there is an issue in delegation. And that's one of the leadership skills that we identify. And we identified the three micro behaviors that effective leaders do, right? So, if, so, so the question I'm going to pose is, what does effective delegation look like? So what do people who delegate really well, what do, do those leaders actually do? Um, and, and here's the list. So the first one is they match projects to skills. So they think actively about what are the skills needed to complete this project, and then what, are, what is the skill set of the person who I'm wanting to delegate this project to? And they try and match it up so that the project is not too overwhelming or too boring for the employee. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's one. 
The second one is um, they also confirm interest. So they actively think about before they delegate a task, they think, you know, is the person really interested to do this? Would they like to do this project? So, of course, if the answer is yes, they move forward with delegating. But they do consider it, and that's the key difference. Right. And then the third one, which I, I find almost most important, is how they delegate. So when they delegate a project, they always only specify what the outcome is. So what needs to be done? But they let the employee figure out how to do that. Because otherwise, it's micromanagement. Right. So if the leader does these three, these three behaviors, then they are delegating effectively. If they don't, um, then, of course, that creates problems. And it results in symptoms like the leader being a, a bottleneck, having to review everything or not having confidence that employees can actually do a good job. And oftentimes, um, people who are, who are not skilled in this area end up doing all of the work themselves again anyway, which you probably experience, sounds like, where somebody assigns the, the uh, work, but then uh, after you do it, the manager ends up doing it all over again by right. themselves because they think they know best. Right. And, you know, I see this sometimes when folks – uh, let's say entrepreneurs, hire, business creators, hire people to manage their social media for them or to manage their email campaigns for them. And again, we come back to that push and pull of I need to review it and I need it to be in my voice and all that. So this is something that I selectively do for clients. I don't have any openings for it right now. I only do this with a few clients at a time. And who knows if I'll ever have an opening for this again. But I have a few clients where uh, I do actually – write stuff in their voice and it goes out through their social mm-hmm. media. It goes out through their, through their email. And having done a number of these, I have established a process that works very well and a set of requirements from my end in order to do this with the client. Um, item number one is you need the, the client needs to provide me with examples of their writing, examples of their speaking, examples of their voice, uh, audio, visual, and written I will take the time to study that and get to know what it, you know, how that person communicates. I can see their body language. I can see their and hear their inflections. And 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 as I get to know that client's story, what has brought them to where they are at their intersection of brilliance and passion, as I write in their voice, I can place myself in their mind frame of where they come from, which helps it come out more naturally. The second piece is that. I, at first, I will want them to actually review everything that goes out. Because if I were to give them assignments like, tell me everything that you would normally say, or tell me everything that you absolutely would not say, uh, then there's no way that's going to be all-encompassing. So they usually start by telling me, well, these certain phrases are things that I would never say or do, or these are certain key phrases that are very important for my seed-based marketing. So we incorporate that. And then for X amount of time, we will, uh, when I generate it, they'll review it before it goes out. But that's the key phrase, X amount of time. It also has to be built in that there's a cutoff date to that. That once we reach that cutoff date, they stop reviewing, which means it goes out without them reviewing it, without them permitting it, actually without them knowing about it, uh, other than if they want to become a subscriber to their own list and read it. 
Because the idea is it puts the client in the frame of, I really am going to delegate this. And I really am going to get somebody to the point where they can duplicate me so I can go on doing the things that I need to do most while somebody else helps me with my communication. That's that's great. And, you know, and if once a year something gets goofed up, all they have to do is say, all right, I love what you do, but in this one case, I probably wouldn't have said it that way. But if you start saying it every time, I'm going to say, look, uh, either you need to provide me more information or we need to part ways because there does come a point where I just will not accept the review anymore. And to me, that goes back to helping the clients from, you know, from, from my side truly delegate. That, that's just, that's sure. just me. And so that, that's what comes up as, as I listen to what you're saying. Yes, exactly. And in, in your case, that even moves to um, an, the second skill that I was going to mention, and that's empowering others. Yeah. Right. One thing is just to delegate a project. A whole new um, thing is, is to empower people. Um, and what we mean by empowering here is that you not only tell, uh, tell people what to do, but you share decision-making authority with them. And we found that the effective leaders actually have a conversation around decision-making authority. So they ask questions when they uh, discuss an assignment. They would ask questions like, what decisions related to this assignment are you comfortable making? And they agree on ground rules. And sounds like that's part of your process. So well done. Yeah, you're stating it differently, but that's the general idea, which is to give them the frame up front and let them know the vision of what we're moving toward. And the way I seek to position is to get them excited about having this area of their business handled. Yes, exactly. But creating the room for um, decisions that are um, smaller and relevant and having ground rules around, you know, which, which decisions do you need to include me in? Which decisions do you just run with? Right. Exactly. And that brings up another point too. Uh, Cause even with these client relationships where I, have the power to write on their behalf without even letting them know I was planning to send something out. That, 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 that's how far this goes. Every so often I'll say, you know, normally, and, I, and, and I'm so honored by the fact that you trust me to, to run with things without even letting you know what I'm doing, and it just goes out in the marketplace, and it makes you money, and I'm all happy about that. But for this one particular communication, I really want to get your eyes on it just to make sure that we're hitting it just so because this one's really important. And my expectation is that they will actually review it in timely fashion. Yes, yes, indeed. And that that brings me to the next behavior. Um, It's interesting how you're bringing up the same concept uh, just with different words. So this is exactly what we're finding in our research. So. A big part of empowering is then, um, you know, you, you have that initial conversation when the project is assigned, but then how do you check in? How do you monitor the progress? And we found that effective leaders, when they discuss the project, they agree together with the employee on what are the checking points and then what deliverables um, or um, what, um, you know, what deliverables are they expected to review at that point in time. But right. it's a conversation rather than this is what I'm expecting. Right, right, very, very, very true. Because another thing that to me is very important is taking every opportunity to let the person you're speaking with feel that they are participating in the decision-making process or that they have an option. Uh, let me uh, 
tell you one of my pet peeves because I have a feeling you might have something to mm-hmm. say about this. If somebody says to okay. you, like, let's say I were to say to you, uh, uh, Martin, please draft me that article and have it to me for review by Thursday. Now, now listen to what I said. Martin, please have that draft to me to review by Thursday. Now, let me say it a different way. Hey, Martin, uh, could you please have that draft to review to me by Thursday? Two-word difference. Instead of saying please, yeah, I say, true. could you please? If I'm mm-hmm. if, if I'm asking you that if I'm asking you to have an article to me to draft by Thursday, that tends to indicate that I have the power to expect a draft from you by Thursday at any rate. Whether it's because uh, I'm your client, whether it's because I'm your supervisor, whether it's because we're both on a team and I'm the next person down the line and I need your draft to do my job so that all the deliverables get met. But either way. I'm in a position where I can reasonably communicate to you that I want the draft by Thursday with a reasonable expectation that you'll do it. But it's just a matter of how I ask. Yes, absolutely. And the difference is there that one is a statement. It's not even a question, right? Right. And that's probably why it feels like it's that piece to you, uh, because it feels like you don't have a say versus the other one um, is more of a question. Is this something um, you'd like to do? Can I count on you to do this? Right. Right, and to me that, and to me, that inspires micro commitments. Because if I say, "Could you please?" and you say, "Sure," then that's you making another commitment to the the goals and the outcomes of the organization or the project or whatever's going on. Uh, and here's another thing that, and sometimes we do our best work when we're doing things extemporaneously. This is something I just came up with. So, uh, and I talk about this in my book, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, if someone says, please get that article to me by Thursday, and then they may notice, well, I sent you that request and you didn't reply to acknowledge that I requested that. What in please get that to me by Thursday requires a response. However, when I word it, could you please get a, re- a draft to me by Thursday, then I'm actually asking you a question, which increases the chance that you will respond to say, 10-4, Captain, because I asked you a question, which begets an answer. Yes, and I would even go as far as say that maybe a lack of response might be a sign of subtle resistance. And perhaps the person doesn't want to do it. <laughs> right. Right, I'm going to make a confession about myself, uh, and... Most people eventually pick up on this, but if anybody's listening has been wondering, this is the answer to your question. The more you ask me over and over about something, the more I push it to the bottom of the pile. So if somebody works with me and they notice they keep asking for this one thing, but everything else seems to be getting done except for this one thing, that could be a couple different factors. It could be an enthusiasm issue, and I'm just using myself as an example because other people may feel the same way. It could be an issue of enthusiasm on my point, on my part, or lack thereof. It could be that this one particular request is being communicated differently than all the others, so it's standing out and not necessarily in a good way. Or it could be just, you know, get off my freaking back. Yeah, and I would throw one more in. Um, so, so it just could be procrastination. Could be procrastination. And let me think of a – and I just thought of one too. Well, I love when some great minds come together. Mm-hmm. I thought of another one too. <laughs> if, if it seems like somebody keeps asking for this one thing over and over and over again to the point where you get like, all right, I get it already for the 19th time. Uh, 
And, 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 and just that fact you keep getting asked for it over and over again dampens your enthusiasm. This speaks to a matter of prioritization. So why does this person keep asking for this? What is it about this one thing that's got their bug up their crawl where everything else seems to be going smoothly and there's no discussion about it? Yeah, absolutely. So it could be um, a lack of prioritization or the, maybe the person is not skilled in there. Or um, when I brought up procrastination, um, one of the key um, reasons behind procrastination that we found through research is that people don't believe that they can do the job. Of course, it's very difficult to be, um, to be enthusiastic and motivated to do something when you don't believe that you can actually do that. Right. And that is why all the exercises um, that I wrote about in The Leader Habit are about few five minutes, um, five minutes a day. And uh-huh. then you just spend that much time because you don't procrastinate. That's something you can do. Um, and if you do it enough times, it becomes automatic. It becomes your new habit. Yeah. Martin, i got to tell you, this is so much fun, and I know we still have a few things we want to cover here. And at the rate the interview was pacing, I knew we had some extra time, so I thought we could go down this path. This is so much fun. Uh, yes, Let me ask, yes, let me ask another question. Indeed, so, so for our listeners, you are hearing a live brainstorm between two subject matter experts dealing with a real situation as it comes up. As I teach in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, this is where business creators do their best work solving real people's real problems. So let me take this to another level. Uh, I may be procrastinating because I don't feel that I'm capable of doing the job. All right. Why is it that I don't feel that I can say, hey, I don't think this is in my ballpark, or say something like, you know, um, I, I need a little more guidance on this. I need a little more information to help me do this to the level of expertise that you're entitled to and looking for here. So can you help me out with that? So what could be stopping me from doing one of those two forms of outreach? Yeah, so um, the, the culture of the company or the relationship with your manager. So if you don't have an open relationship, if the culture of the organization doesn't support learning, doesn't celebrate experimentation, people might be more hesitant to come up and, and reach out when they feel like they don't uh, understand or they don't know what to do with a particular project. Um, but I think... Um, it is also a matter of us not knowing as people how to really change our own behavior and how to grow our skills. I think we, we from our childhood, from all the days and, uh, that we spent in school, we assume that the only way how we can learn new things is by reading books and um, attending workshops and seminars. Um, but that is not how we build skills. We build skills through everyday practice, just like we learn to ride a bike or play a musical instrument or play a sport. So we just practice and we practice on a daily basis. Um, so if, if we can minimize um, the skill and identify a tiny micro behavior, we can start the practice today. And through this practice, we increase our confidence that, yes, we can actually do this. And, and that, of course, is going to result in successful completion of any project and achievement of our goals. Yeah, very good. 
Very good. Now, uh, getting back to what we were talking about, you and your team, through the work you did with the Leadership Readiness Platform and some of your other work, identified uh, 22 core skills that are most common among successful leaders. Now, I don't know if we have time to list all 22 core skills. We're over two-thirds of the way through here. And uh, so let me just get to the part of how did you go about this research? What, what, what was your source material and how did you make this happen? Yes. Um, so 22 core leadership skills. Um, uh, we reviewed the extensive management literature uh, to identify what are the most common skills that have been reported in previous research. And then we also designed our own research study of about 800 managers and executives from around the world. Um, where we tested the tiny behaviors that make up this, these um, 22 core leadership skills. And that's what um, the leader habit exercises in the book are based on. So from our research, we identified the tiny behaviors that make up these core leadership skills. And then the idea is you have one exercise per behavior and you just pick one and that's what you practice until you master it, and then you move on to the next one, and that's how you become a great leader. Right. I love that. I love that very much. So moving on uh, to the next stage here is to implement your process. And this is where we start pumping iron. To implement your process, Mm. you advocate that people develop what you call a leader habit workout. Why do you call it a workout, and what kind of reps are we doing here, my man? Yes, so it's a workout just to remind people that this is hard work. <laughs> the same way you go to the gym and you work work on your muscles, the same way you work on your leadership skills. It's exactly the same process. Um, um, so it's not just passively sitting um, and reading a book or watching a YouTube video. It's actually doing um, because leadership at the end of the day is about doing. As far as reps, once a day, 66 days. That's what the research shows. That is how long it takes for that one microbehavior to become a habit. And then when it's automatic, when it becomes a habit, then you move on to the next one. And day by day, little by little, you improve your leadership skills. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. The idea that we're, you know, it's, it's like a workout, a fitness routine. Just like as we discussed earlier in the conversation, we start with some sort of natural type trigger that leads to a small behavior that we turn into a habit. Like I turn on my computer in the morning and the first thing I do is I check the customer service queue and get a sense of what some of the current trending issues are. See if maybe there's a customer out there mm-hmm. that I can just reach out to and say, Hey, thank you so much for this, whatever. So what I love about yeah, your, exactly. yeah, go ahead. Um, I was going to say one more example. We talked about delegation, right? Yeah. So every time that you assign a task or a project, then uh, you make sure that you specify what needs to be done and then ask the person, how do you think you would do that? So that forces you now to practice your delegation skills. So we have exercises for every one of these core leadership skills. Oh, that's interesting. And I and tell me if I'm down the right path here, because I think I am. If I'm a leader who's having challenges delegating and we know from various research that some of that is a confidence level, some of that is a fear of losing control type issue, that if I say to the person, you know, I want them to get this done for me, and I ask them how they think they would do that, that 
<laughs> it gives me a level of control because or a feeling of a level of control because now I'm getting a sense of understanding what they're going to be doing. So by asking them, how do you think you'll fulfill that? They read back to me their process for how they're going to do it. And I say, okay, okay, I, I, I get it. I know what they're doing. Uh, I can see they got this handled. I can let this happen now. That's one part of it. Absolutely. Second part of it is if you are forced to pose it as a question, it prevents you from micromanaging and telling the people exactly what you want them to do. Going back to what we said earlier about adding just two words to phrase something as a question to increase the likelihood of any response, much less a personal one or a positive one. Absolutely. Right. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So your approach, and this is what I like about it so much because we as business creators are so busy thriving from the intersection of our brilliance and passion, your approach involves these exercises, these workouts that take only five minutes a day. So how does such a small investment of time really pay off? Originally, I was going to say, can such a small investment of time really pay off? But we've already gone through example after example after example after example of exactly how it pays off. So tell us more about how it is that that small investment of time gets such a big return on investment. Yes, so uh, you start with one exercise, and you just practice that one exercise. But if you pick the right one, and in the book I talk about strategies to picking the right skill to begin with. If you select the right leader habit exercise to begin with, that habit, that initial habit, can become what I call a keystone habit. It can can trigger a whole uh, chain reaction. Um, Well, I I see this over and over with some of the clients that I coach and work with. Um, For for instance, you start working on one skill, and that one skill spreads to other related um, skills without you even knowing that. So two months later, you think you've been just working on this one particular exercise. Maybe you've been just working on your influencing skills. But two months later, you notice that you're better at overcoming resistance, at negotiating or coaching your employees as well. And the reason for it is that from a psychological perspective, as people do behaviors, we integrate these behaviors into how we view ourselves. So two months later, if you integrate that behavior into your self-image, you, start, you will start looking at yourself differently. And then you automatically start doing behaviors that come along with your new self-image. This happens very frequently in health behaviors as well. And people quit smoking, and then all of a sudden you see that they start going to the gym or they start eating healthier. It spreads to other behaviors. And that is really the key. So, yes, it seems very simple. Many people um, challenge me in the beginning and say, you know, five minutes a day, that's not going to make me a great leader. And I respond to them, try it for two months, and then you'll see that it does. Because you actually do it. In your busy life, you can find five minutes a day to perform that exercise. And if you stick with it, it will become your habit, and it'll start this chain reaction. It'll become your keystone habit, and you develop a whole set of new leadership skills that you didn't even know about. A couple months ago, I was at a seminar, and... One of the speakers indicated that he had decided that he was going to live to be 108 years old. 
He just he didn't do any like science or have any actuarial studies or any biological or DNA type studies done. He just said, I'm going to live to be 108 years old. Statement of fact, he's going to live to be 108. Now, when challenged on that, he said, you know, I really don't know how long I'm going to live. I can't dictate that I'm going to live to be 108 years old. But by making the declaration that I'm going to live to be 108, that means I'm going to do every little thing that I can during the day to stack the deck in my favor, favor to make it more likely that I'll live that long. It's the commitment that we make, indeed. And that's what changes our self-image. It changes how we view ourselves. And once you change the way you look at yourself, you change your behaviors, or the behaviors just follow from that. Great. So there's research study after research study that has documented it. Yeah. So yes, the key to any behavior change, whether it's leadership habits or anything else you're trying to develop, Start small, but keep on repeating it. Um, and if you repeat it for enough times, that is every day for two months, you'll see that it does change you and it, it, the impact is huge. Yeah. So in the time we have left here, and we have about, uh, we have about eight minutes before we do the close, uh, I wanted to just go through a couple other examples here some of the exercises and give you a couple of scenarios so let's say somebody uh, in a leadership position uh, is trying to get better at managing priorities what exercise would you would you recommend for somebody looking to increase their ability to manage priorities yes yeah, so the um, probably the easiest one to implement is after you first sit down to start your work day write down the two to three most important things that you need to achieve that day. And that's what you begin your work with. Before you do anything else, you first identify these are my two to three priorities for the day. And that's what you stick with. That's what you work on. And if you have time left in the day, only then you move on to other things. Yeah. Okay. That's, and that sounds pretty straightforward. I have a, roll with myself we were talking about what happens after i do my morning routine and i turn on my computer and everything i have a rule of my own which is i don't look at any emails any voicemails any social media none of it it's like it doesn't exist for me until i have done something that increases the amount of money in my bank account the reason i do that is so that no day in business is ever wasted So even yes, if that's a very good habit so even, to have. So even if those Indeed. emails and those voicemails and that social media is about to hand me uh, a crap sandwich on a firestorm plate, I can say I made. <laughs> mo- I can say I made money today. It's good. Yeah, that's 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 a wonderful habit. And where that came from was overcoming a sense of frustration I used to have where it felt like my work didn't mean anything or it seemed like all I was ever doing was putting out other people's fires, which also led to another habit of mine, which is, to, is, which is to embrace the, embrace a couple of – I'm going to say three different things. The first is that there are only certain people whose failure to plan, whose emergencies, whose crises can even – come to my attention, much less affect my day plan. These are people who are specifically identified as clients who give me gobs of money, period. That's number one. Number two, 
is that those clients and a small number of influencers, alliance partners, and strategy partners are the only folks who get regular access to me. Another rule I have is if you are a paid coaching client of mine, if you're actually paying me for coaching or consulting, you are one of those lucky people who has access to my Skype. And if you see my little green dot is lit up, uh, you type those three words, got a sec. If I have one, I'll say, cool. Or if I'll, or I'll say, all right, I'm kind of tied up right now, but I, can I meet you in 30? Everybody else goes through a scheduler. Very simply, because that helps me focus my energy, my brilliance, and my passion on those who are investing in it and those who are directly benefiting from it right now. The third thing that helped me down this path is a recognition that, you know, I look around and whose lives are being affected by my emergencies? And I took stock of that, and I, and I realized that there was actually a very small number of people out there whose own days, whose own day plans, who's, what they're doing that day, what they're doing at that moment, can be impacted if I come to them with one of my emergencies. And so if it's only a few people for me, why should it be hundreds of people who could come to me? I'm, I'm laughing here. You're probably not hearing it because yeah. I put myself on mute while you were talking. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm smiling um, because as I'm looking through the list here um, in, in my book, The Leader Habit, uh, through these different effective leadership behaviors, you know, I'm just going check, check, check. Um, so one of the ones that I, I was listening to right now, you describe why you have these priorities, why you have these things in place. Yeah. Um, that is a very common effective leadership behavior. Um, and, and that's being very clear on why something is a priority and having a clear rationale that helps you and everybody else understand I'm doing this because, or it's a priority because X, Y, Z. So well done. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And this is one of the reasons I'm really enjoying our conversation. I'm so sad we're coming to the end of it. So we've spoken about managing priorities. We've spoken about Mm -hmm. improving a person's ability to empower others. So we have about three minutes before I want to, you know, give you the stage here for a second. I'm just going to throw something out there, and I'm going to see how you react to it. Let's say, okay. I'm, let's say I'm a department manager or a company owner, and I notice that when it's time for people to end their lunch break and come back to work, I actually have to go down to the lunchroom and tell them that it's time for them to come back to work versus – when it's time for them to come back to work, I look around in their offices and their cubicles and I see they're already working again, which speaks directly to an enthusiasm level. What else might be going on and what could I do about it if it seems like I'm having to go and tell people that it's actually time for their lunch break to end and they have to come back to work versus me saying, oh, wow, they're working again already. Well, so I'm going to be a bit cheeky and the first thing that, comes to my mind is why do you care <laughs> right so does it does it really matter when people come back from lunch um, for uh-huh. for your company uh-huh. um, what is it about you as a leader that 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 makes this a, a sore spot for you why do you care why why is it bothering you um, so that's where I would generally start because that question you know that self-exploration 
can usually shed some light and bring some insight. Um, maybe it's a leadership skill and maybe it's a, it's a habit that's missing. Um, that's something to, that, that you might work on. Wow. That's really powerful. Asking yourself, why does this matter to me? That can open so many different cans of worms. It could, it could say, all right, so why does it seem like they don't want to work? Why, why are they extending their lunch break so long? Uh, and then there could be another issue, which is, why do I feel the need to regulate when lunch is? Why can't I just say, uh, you're here nine hours a day, one of them's your lunch hour, take it whenever you feel like it, as long as you get your work done. We could exactly. go down yes. so many productive paths with that. And what you've just illustrated, Martin, really is just the power of asking questions and asking effective questions without judging any behavior or any potential response, leaving the door open to all sorts of discoveries. I love it. Yeah, that's another leadership skill. Um, we call it active listening um, that we found through our research. Wow. All right, so we are near the top of the hour here, and as I said, I wanted to give you a moment or so. You have a little something for our listeners, because one of the trends that we've identified over the course of the hour is the leader's ability to be introspective, to ask questions of themselves, to get to know themselves better, and you have something for our listeners along those lines as a special gift for tuning in today, so tell us about that. Yes, I would be happy to. So um, we do have um, a complimentary free personality test um, that you can take at leaderhabit.com. And then you click on the quiz button right there. And this quiz just takes 10 minutes and it's free. And it will give you some insights into your own personality. And you might think, well, why is this important? It's important because our personality determines which leadership skills come to us naturally and which leadership skills we'll struggle with. And the key behind success um, in any development, in any growth, is to find the behaviors, find the leadership skills that will come to you naturally. That is what you'll most enjoy doing, and that's where you'll see the fastest growth. So I encourage all the listeners to go to leaderhabit.com, Click on the quiz, spend 10 minutes taking the quiz. You get a nice PDF report emailed to you. And it'll not only give you insights about your own personality, but it will highlight which leadership skills are coming to you naturally, which ones coming or come to you less naturally. And once you've identified the ones that do come to you naturally, then I encourage you to get the Leader Habit book, pick your exercise, and start your own development journey. You'll be amazed by how much you'll be able to grow in just two months, I promise. Wow. All right. And to get to that, simply go to uh, Martin's website, which is www.leadership, excuse me, www.leaderhabit.com. That's www.leaderhabit.com. And in the menu bar, in the upper right-hand corner, or on the little drop-down, if you're looking out on your mobile phone, click quiz and that'll take you directly to it yes absolutely okay dr martin lanick thank you so much for being with us today it has been an honor and an education thank you adam i had so much fun for everybody listening this is adam homie host of the business creators radio show please be sure to tune in check out our previous and our upcoming episodes where we help you win 
at the game of business and marketing and thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Till next time, have a great day. Take care.